Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News, and this week I am finally reunited with both of my co-hosts. Hi! Yay! I've been here. HG's been gallivanting the world. I've been jet setting. It's been kind of tiring, actually. We started recording this podcast late because I was indeed napping. Yep. Hi, this is Hai Chen Vui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. All right, now that we're all back together again, we are doing our monthly millennial movie review. And, of course, the, you know you know our title, the title of our podcast. We have to review this movie. It is Solo, a Star Wars story. It's the snake eating its own tail. The Millennial Falcon reviews Solo. (laughs) A Star Wars story. Yeah. All right. So Solo, a Star Wars story, is directed by Ron Howard. It stars Alton Ehrenreich, uh, Woody Harrelson, Amelia Clark, Donald Glover, Thandie Newton, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and Paul Bettany. And it is written by Jonathan Kasdan, Lawrence Kasdan. And it is... um, Formerly directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. And uh, all those executive producers. Yeah, still, and they I think they kept a co-writing credit. Uh, I don't, maybe. No, actually, no, they did not. Uh, no, because I think they redid like 70% of the movie, or 90% of yeah, the movie. and that's how Ron Howard Ooh. got the full directing credit. Ooh. So, this film follows the titular Han Solo in his early years before he meets Luke and Leia in A New Hope. Uh, during an adventure into the criminal underworld, Han Solo meets his future co-pilot Chewbacca and encounters Lando Calrissian years before joining the Rebellion. Uh, so let's get into this movie, shall we? Hey, what- first off, I want I want everybody to do their best Chewbacca. Nope. Let's do oh. it. Okay, Absolutely fine. I'm gonna do it. Not. Oh, that's a pretty good impression. Yeah, Ruby. I can't beat that though. Uh, all you Chewbacca linguists, what is he saying? <laughs> Yeah, tell us what Willoughby is saying to us. He's cursing on our podcast. We are a rated G podcast, guys. Actually, yeah, Willoughby, come on. I'm just going to take my bag and go home. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, let's start off with our initial spoiler-free thoughts about Solo, a Star Wars story. Willoughby, why don't you start us off? Okay, I could do that. Uh, is it because I'm the biggest Star Wars fan? <laughs> it's yeah, because, probably. yes, um, <laughs> uh, I, when I met you, you were wearing a Star Wars sweatshirt, and you wore it for a majority of our college years. <laughs> yeah, that's very true, I did do that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I will, I can sum, summarize, summarize, sum up my, uh, thoughts on the movie in one sentence. It's a jaunty romp into crime. I will expand on that. It's an apt um, summary. I had a lot of fun with this movie, and I think that it was very well directed. I think Ron Howard did a very fantastic job with it. It was, um, you know, I always was was following the direction, and the action. Uh, the editing was very crisp. Um, the cinematography uh, by Bradford Young is impeccable. It was. It's, it's one of the most like. It's like. 
it feels like Star Wars, but also feels like it's real. Like, you know, like they made it feel like the airport scene or, you know, I'm calling it the airport scene. It's like the space space launch scene, but like, you know, like running through the crowds and everything like it. That's and like they actually went. I mean, they've they've been doing this for all new Star Wars movies, but real locations, real sets, the um I don't even know what planet it was, but the, where the, the train heist, like, that was so beautifully well shot. And all the stuff on Savarine at the end of the movie, the, like, the, not, I wouldn't call it a desert planet, but they were definitely on a beach uh, somewhere because there was, like, cliffside and it turned into the ocean and the water. But I just felt like the movie was impeccably well shot. Um, the landscapes are really well done. And, you know, there was a lot of, there wasn't a lot of space. There was the Kessel Run. I feel like that was the most space we got out of the movie. Um, it really was uh, planet hopping, and I like the characters. All the new characters are great. Um, we could talk about what the, happens to a lot of the female characters in this movie because yes, there's that. We should. Um, but I liked them when they were hanging around. Um, uh, the new droid of the movie, the, of the movie L three three seven, is my favorite. She and K two S O would be the best like robot couple like. Destroying we'll definitely fascism. Definitely discuss her in the character section. Yeah, um, but like overall, my thoughts, I liked it. I would, I mean, I recently did a list of my top ten Star Wars films because, oh boy, there have been ten Star Wars films, and I put Solo at like my number six or seven. I think I put set at seven, right above um, the prequels. And a lot of people were like, "Why is it so low?" And I'm like, "Well, my top five and Rogue One, I liked more." And just because it's number seven on my list doesn't mean it's a bad film. It's just there have been six other films that I liked more. Like, I feel like I, just a lot of people, like, whenever I post it, that, that list, they really, like, were like, why is why is Solo and Rogue One so low on your list? And I was like, because I like The Force Awakens, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, A New Hope, and The Last Jedi more. Like, there have been so many. It's kind of like doing your top... 20 marvel films like at some point like iron man 3 is going to be like not super high on the list because the movies keep getting better or you know like th- like the rankings change and i feel like uh, yeah like i'm go- i'm rambling here but i really like solo so you like solo but there are other star wars movies you like more although uh just keep in mind everyone to take willoughby's opinion with a grain of salt because he thinks that uh attack of the clones is better than phantom menace so i'm not sure we can trust anything he says anymore on star wars Okay, so. I, I will not go never get over the the feeling I had in the movie theater when Jedi Master Yoda took down his cane, whipped out his lightsaber, and jumped around. And I know it looks real corny now, but that moment right. in the theater... Attack of the, the Clones, though, has that, that romp in the flower field scene. Exactly. It's like... Exactly. It just, it's all yes, like the worst scene has, in Star Wars history. Yeah, it, it, it does have some of the worst... Uh, romantic dialogue in cinema history, including the most iconic line. And I'm going to do my best Hayden Christensen here. I don't like sand. It's rough, it's coarse, and it gets everywhere. <laughs> Not like here. See? Everything here is so smooth. Oh. And he puts his finger delicately up against Padme, and it's so awkward! Okay, see, we're getting on. See, Attack of the the worst. Phantom Menace has Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn, so it's inherently I, better. I actually remember wholly enjoying phantom menace when i saw it Same. granted i was a kid but i saw nothing wrong with that movie when i was I, a kid and i love it i just it. think there's there's just way too many racist caricatures in yes. episode one yeah that, that, they that dialed true. it back a lot in episode two but they were kind of stuck with their cre- characters but they kind of 
like you really hardly ever see the Trade Federation or Jar Jar Binks, um, but you saw a lot of them in The Phantom Menace, and it was bad. I recently listened to the Blank Check podcast, in which they started off as a Star Wars podcast, and they did like 10 episodes on The Phantom Menace, 10 on Attack on the, of the Clones, and 10 on the Revenge of the Sith, and they like inter- they like dissected a, a different theme or part of the movie each episode, and for Phantom Menace, like they just had a whole episode about the racism of, that, of Phantom Menace, and it was so like, oh man, like I don't I, we can't get into it, because we're talking about Solo, but yeah. oh, bad, bad. Uh, Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. I liked it. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, Anya, why don't you go next? Tell me what um, your thoughts so, are. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Willoughby said. I think it's... Uh, so, I really enjoyed it. I thought Solo was a lot of fun. I think it's supremely well-made. It's gorgeous. It's edited well. It's just such a well-made film. And that's because we got Ron Howard. And I'm so glad we got his film. Um... I don't care about throwing shade at Lord Miller. I'm fine with that. Um, Because I love Ron Howard, and I think he's great. So I am very happy uh, that we got his version. And I thought it was a lot of fun. I liked the performances, but I also think it's inherently flawed, um, which we will get into. And I think my biggest issue is that they introduced a new character in this film, who I'm obsessed with. We will talk about her. She is everything to me. I have already bought merchandise for her because uh, I love her so much. And it dawned on me that the problem with Solo is that it wasn't about her. As in, Solo didn't add anything to the Star Wars universe. Whereas had they done a different story, I feel like they could have said so much more. And there could have been like a real addition to this universe and its lore so it's a fun movie um but it it really does feel unnecessary and that's not in and of itself a bad thing because movies can just be fun romps there's no problem with that but i think there was the possibility to just take it some steps further and it just would have been so much better had they done that I actually agree with a lot of what you just said, Anya, because I enjoyed Solo. It was a fine movie. Uh, I had It was solidly made, solidly directed. The performances were all solid. Uh, but ultimately, it felt inconsequential. Uh, I don't know if it was because the stakes didn't feel quite real because, you know, the beloved Solo, Han Solo, was going to be fine towards the end uh i wasn't i wasn't sure if it was because i wasn't that invested in han solo as a character to begin with and it was a movie that felt like it probably didn't need to be made it was a movie no one was really asking for uh it was like of all the characters you could have done there were so many other characters that could have had their own spin-off movies leia for example uh lando I think the, the movie really jumped into life when Lando came on screen. And I was like, why are we not watching this movie? So I thought, yeah, it's like it felt actually a lot like a movie version of a Star Wars comic book adventure. So it felt kind of like a one-off, really fun, sort of fan service movie that felt a little shallow at the end just because I was like, okay, that was fun. But I felt like it's kind of fading a little bit from my memory, even as I was leaving the theater. And, um, and again, nothing wrong with that. It's a fun movie that really 
lives up to its Star Wars story title, I think. I think it really uh, lives up to that anthology movie um, purpose. But even Agreed. compared to uh, a Rogue One, it didn't have quite the the weighty sort of themes that it was dealing with. I don't, and like I wonder if coming off of Last Jedi, which meant so much and had so many things going on, uh, Solo just felt so uh, hollow next to it, which is really interesting to me. So yeah, it was fine. I'll deny Iron Reich. I liked his depiction of Solo. Actually, I liked how he was the kind of like the dopey, annoying younger brother version of Han Solo, rather than the suave, um, sort of charismatic uh, charmer that we that a lot of people have in their heads as the idea of Han Solo. I, that's the key word there is in their heads. Because yes. let's be real, Han Solo's always been a dork. He's always been a dork. God, I need people to stop thinking of Han Solo as this inherently cool, charming womanizer, because he's never been that. Mm-hmm. He's always he's been, just, like, he's from just, day he's one, been, like, tongue-tied around like, Leia. It's cute. He's a he's cute like dope. The, he's a dork trying to be a charming rogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, he is charming, but that's because Harrison Ford's charming, mostly. Yes. But, like, Harrison Ford, like, the great... The great thing about Han Solo, sorry, is that, like, Han Solo is a good guy. And, like, he has been since day one. Like, yeah, like, he's, like, selfish and, you know, grumpy. But, like, when push comes to shove, he's not <clears throat> Peter Quill. So. <laughs> sorry, um, your little cough. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, that's what I love about Han and let's just, we should just dive into the characters. Because I agree, HG, I loved Alden Ehrenreich. I thought he was perfect. I could see Han and him so well from the get-go. And I've been excited for his casting since he was the best part of Hail Caesar. Um, and I just thought he really nailed the character. And I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say something. Oh, Han do. Solo does not belong to Harrison Ford. <gasps> Other people oh can play him. And do you know what? It's because Han Solo is a classic character that he rises above Harrison Ford. Like, he is bigger than Harrison Ford. He is bigger than Alden Ehrenreich. Therefore, we can explore him. And so, anyone saying Harrison Ford doesn't want to play Han Solo, you're wrong. You're basic. You're basic. Would that it were so simple... What did it twist so simple? That his great performance, though, could make the movie uh, shine. But sorry, I wanted to just use that. I don't know where I was going. (laughs) But yeah, he was great. I actually. um, I liked his origin, um, and I thought it worked as the. It kind of helped to explain. It worked to explain where he came from and establish himself as uh, trying to be a charming rogue. And, like, it was interesting to me, too, that he was always sort of, um, you know, punching above his station. He, he always kind of tried to make his ego fight, work for itself, but never, it always ended up biting him in the butt, which I thought was really fun and an interesting way of approaching this character who people, who so many people idolize. So I liked it. That made he him seem more to- human. He always tries to talk his way out of a situation. And he often ends and it up always failing. Backfi- yeah. It always backfires. And it, they did that in the original trilogy. Like, Yeah, he's young and scrappy. And I like that about him. Um, but yeah, he he was a great character. And uh, I just... 
even though I didn't feel like a huge affection for him that a lot of people do for Han Solo, it's just, but he, I think he really delivered and was a good centerpiece for this story. I will say, HT, like, to this day, Han Solo remains my all-time favorite Star Wars character. Mm. Um, and it's because of the rant Willoughby and I went on earlier about how he's not who people think he is. Yeah. Um, and that he's a good guy. I will say, and this is, uh, there's there's a lot of reasons for this, and we'll get into it, but since we're discussing characters, I'm going to hop around. Although, Willoughby, I want your thoughts on Alden Ehrenreich, but I can't let this go first. Because you said you like his backstory, HT, and I agree, except for Amelia Clark. Yeah, I was kind of so, dancing around that. <laughs> it's partly because she's not a great actress. It's partly because the writing for her is so blah. The only time I like her is the very end of the film when they finally made her commit to what I was hoping they would make her commit to. Um, but for the rest, you know the like se- sexy lamp test? Mm-hmm. Yes. If you replace a sexy lamp with Amelia Clark, the movie still happens. Yep. Exactly as it does. She does not affect anything because like Han still wants to get out of Willoughby. Corellian? Corellia? Corellia. He still wants to get out of Corellia. He still ends up with Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson still has the debt. Like, everything would still happen if she was not in this movie. Right, because if you think about it, she gets out of Corellia. He has no reason to go back to Corellia. He still wants a ship. Yeah, she has a real lack of agency throughout the film, even when she starts to take on, like, a more badass sort of role later on when we meet her in the film. She's still, like, like, she's still branded, and she's still acting out of, you know, having to do it out of, say, out of, like, survival, essentially. Yeah, and you could argue, like, by her being aligned with the villain of the film, like, oh, she does affect things, but it's like, even if you weren't there, Paul Bettany would still exist, and he would still have that relationship with Woody Harrelson. So, like, she doesn't matter. And It would just be a shoot-up between Droid and Voss and Han Solo instead of a three-way battle. Yeah, she's very much written in the style of a femme fatale, but she never breaks out of that archetype, which is the big problem with this movie, is that it does... Um, it is sort of an exercise in archetypes, in a way. Even Lando, who I was so completely charmed by, is still sort of that archetype of that black exploitation, um, st- like inspired character that uh, Billy Billy D. Williams, yes, um, initially sort of played him as that suave, yeah. smooth talking, charismatic guy. Donald Glover, while I love him, did kind of just do. <laughs> a Billy D. Williams impression. He did. But he was so charismatic that I was like, I don't really care. Which, and he had less to do, but, like, I, I would argue, at least for Alden Ehrenreich, that, like, he, I don't I don't feel like he ever did a, an impression of Harrison Ford doing no. Han Solo. It no, always felt wasn't. like he was just doing Han Solo. Yes. He wasn't trying to, like, lower his voice or sound like Harrison yeah. Ford, because he's got a, like, Harrison Ford has a, has a deeper register than Alden Ehrenreich does. Yeah, have you Alden guys... Ehrenreich is an if it's okay, I'm, I want to go into my thoughts about Yes, please, I want to ask you. I think he was great. And I think that he did a fantastic job embodying the spirit and essence of Han Solo. Especially a younger Han Solo who is not, who doesn't have, like, everything down. Like, Han, Han's always been a hot mess. But I feel like he's even a, a hotter mess when he's 22 than when he's 32. And someone on Twitter, I forget who they were, but they brought up the fact that they a lot of moments reminded them of Jack Dawson in Titanic. Um, 
And I, Ooh, and I feel like there is some some young Leo DiCaprio in his performance uh, oh. because because there's a lot of like kind of like big large emotions that we haven't seen Han really do, but but also that youthful energy that Harrison Ford didn't have in A New Hope because he was already 32 and you and he was and he also looks at 32 like some some people can play 30 some people who are 30 can play like 25 but I feel like Han Solo Harrison Ford at 32 could not play this character at 22 so yeah. the fact that they did get Alden Ehrenreich who was like born in like 89 90 who is actually like just a couple years older than 22 like still he makes it work really well because he is that young, he is that like new, you know. He, he we also don't know him a lot as an actor. We know him from basically Hail Caesar. So like the fact that he was practically an unknown is real helpful in his performance. Because I feel like he does he did such a great job embodying the persona of Han Solo that you kind of lose yourself that it's an actor playing a, another actor. Um, and I think that they did a really good job, like of of. His mannerisms, his um, cockiness, but also, like, dorkiness was very much, like, present at all times. And his, like, like we never really saw, t- like, in the original trilogy, like, had Han talk about his aspirations in life. Except for, like, I got a bounty on my head and there's a skull in my name and blah, blah, blah. Um, but this, you get, like, the idea that he wants to go somewhere. He wants to be somebody. And he wants to be who he ends up being. But because he's Han Solo, he kind of fails his way upwards into doing that. Yeah, I'm yeah. really glad he wasn't just a Harrison Ford impression because have you guys seen that sort of little news bit that came out after Solo where uh, it, it said that Anthony Ingruber, who played a young Harrison Ford in Age of Adeline, had auditioned and was up for the role in um, in Solo. And uh, it was one of those sort of like news bits that came out and um, people were like, oh, he would have been better because he did like Harrison Ford's voice in Age of Adeline. And I remember watching Age of Adeline and it's very jarring. I was like, wow, he's just doing a Harrison Ford impression. And it's like this young guy who has like a deep throaty voice that is exactly like Harrison Ford. And I'm very glad that Alden Ehrenreich did not do that. That's not how aging works, people. (laughs) What Aaron Reich was doing reminds me of a lot a full movie presentation <clears throat> excuse me a feature length version of what river phoenix was doing as young indiana mm. jones at the beginning of Agreed. indiana jones yes. and lost last crusade there's a he, obviously he's young indiana jones so he's, he's not going to look like harrison ford and he's not going to sound like harrison ford but i think that river phoenix embodied the spirit of indiana jones in a similar manner as Alden Ehrenreich does as embodying a younger Han Solo. And I think that it's comparable. You know, say what you will about that opening sequence of The Last Crusade where they pretty much just, like, establish everything that Indiana Jones is going to be for the rest of his life in a train sequence, um, a a train chase sequence, uh, whereas this is a full movie version of that, which I like. That's a good... They did a good job with it, but it is very much like a younger actor coming in portraying the essence of the character and not the essence of the actor. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And to talk to you guys' points about like how, you know, we got Han's motivations. I think we should touch on Amelia Clark again and how female characters are portrayed in this film. Cause that's probably one of the weakest spots because I think, all right, we all know I'm a sucker for romance. 
H.T. can attest. She is my fellow romance girl. We love us some romance. I think it was a weakness to make them, like, a couple right off the bat. Because Han had motivations outside of her. And so you didn't need her to motivate him to get off Corellia. Like, and he was like, I'm going to go back for her. But then he doesn't need to. So, like, that doesn't matter either. So... I think it would have been interesting had they just, like, grown up together on Corellia and, like, wanted to get out and they were friends. Or she had some sort of agency. But that's the thing is she, like we said, she was just kind of there. And it felt really unnecessary to be like, they're in love. Like, you must care about them. And, like, this like, is so tragic. And they're like apart. If they, did, like, if they did, like, a Simba Nala sort of deal where they were friends as kids and then they grow apart and then they come back together and make out on the Falcon. They can feel the love tonight. <laughs> yeah, or even if there was no romance, that would have been fine. That it just wasn't necessary, and it old. felt like a way to kind of force us to try and care about her, but we didn't, mm-hmm. because she was so whatever. Like, I cared more about Tandy Newton in, like, mm-hmm. the ten minutes she was on screen than I did Amelia Clark for the yeah. entire film. I will say, when that twist happened with Amelia Clark, I kind of just felt a big nothing because if we yep. had, you know, cared about her or sympathized with her the entire movie, it would have been a much more sort of heart-rending scene that we know for, like, Han. For Han, you know? We would have felt for him. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I was just like, oh, all right. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's where the sequel is going. Yeah. And, like, again, like, inconsequential because, like, we know we know where Han's story goes because he's going to go see Jabba the Hutt. And that's all going to go south. And we meet him in a new hope. Blah, blah, blah. And, like... Kira working with Darth Maul, like, I don't know if we'll ever see that explored, maybe in a comic book or, like, a book, but, like, I don't care, so I have no reason to want to see how their story continues, and, like, Darth Maul wasn't in the original trilogies, like, he's not in the new film, so, like, I don't really care what happens to him or what Kira does with him, so it just seemed like this thread... Of why? Yes. Okay. I very. I did not look into Darth Maul's cameo before or after this movie. Willoughby, please explain to me what's going on. Why is he there? Is not. Is he not dead? What's going on? All right. All right. <laughs> Saddle up, kids. It's time for Willoughby's lore breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, in season at the season finale. Season 4 finale of Star Wars Clone Wars, they reintroduced Darth Maul as having survived his fall at the core part of Naboo in his battle against Obi-Wan Kenobi. If you recall your lightsaber theory, lightsabers cauterize a wound. They do not bleed out when you've been cut. So, using that and the essence of the dark side, Darth Maul survived. He no longer has his Dathomirian Zebrakian legs. He now has robot legs. Hold on first. What is the essence of the dark side? Is it like Kool-Aid? Probably. But you know, like... Okay. So like he, he like was able to survive like using the force and you, and also the fact that he wasn't yeah. bleeding out. He was cauterized. Um, yeah. He was cauterized. He was fine. Whatever. So he like survived. He went real batshit insane. Like, more so than he already was, because he was already, like, a Dark Lord of the Sith. Um, he and his brother, Savage Opress, which is basically his the word Savage now. Opress. Oh, um, my God. They started terrorizing the galaxy, and 
and and then uh, his brother dies in like you know like in a battle against Obi Wan. So like Darth Maul has like real personal vendetta against against uh, Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, we don't see what happens to Maul at the end of Clone Wars because he shows up in Star Wars Rebels, which takes place three years before A New Hope. And he shows up, he tries to uh, persuade uh, Ezra to join the dark side of the Force, kind of gets it to happen, um, re- under- and then uh, lands up, a- ends up going to Tatooine because he finds out where Obi-Wan Kenobi is, and in probably a very beautiful moment, they have this, like, actual, like, samurai duel where there's there's no big, like, lightsaber duel. It's just, like, two old men, because Darth Maul at this point is pretty old. Um, like, they just have, like, uh, two to three moves. And then, uh, so, in bet- instead of, like, knocking Obi-Wan out with his double lightsaber like he does Qui-Gon Jinn to get to, to, get to stab Qui-Gon Jinn, uh, Obi-Wan knows he's going to do this. So he stabs right through the lightsaber, and by doing that, also stabs through Darth Maul. And Darth Maul dies in Obi-Wan's hands. Um, so, between Clone Wars and Rebels, there's this period of time where Darth Maul is just kind of chilling and, sh- and shooting the shit. And turns out, Clark ac- on his team. Uh, uh, turns out, according to Solo, he starts running a crime syndicate called Crimson Dawn. Which, Crimson and Red kind of makes sense. You know, like, I'm putting it together now, but, like, I was like, they keep saying the words Crimson Dawn a lot. Um... <laughs> They're really but building yeah, it up, so, yeah. So, and I remember I was in the theater and I saw, like, the hooded figure. I was like, is it the Emperor? No, it can't be the Emperor. Because, like, it sounded familiar. Like, his voice sounded familiar. And I was like, I know that voice. And he t- flips his hood down. And the actor who portrays Darth Maul in the first movie, Ray Park, is there. But the voice actor who voices him in Clone Wars and Rebels is the one doing the voice, Sam oh, Witwer. And so I was like, oh, my God, they're they're tying it all together with Darth Maul showing up in the middle of the uh, in this movie and uh, that was a big ramble but for anybody who may or may, may not have been confused as to how the villain from the first prequel is still alive 15 to 20 years later that's how so good to know still don't care about him in the film I was gonna say and that's okay, the ultimate problem I'm going to say that Darth Maul's appearance is kind of gets the root of my biggest problem with Solo. Even with all that, not knowing all that lore, and I know, like, for, for Star Wars fans, it's, like, huge, exciting thing, but it kind of gets to the root of Solo feeling almost like a checklist of moments that Star Wars fans will, like, recognize and be like, ah, that's what they're referenced to. Um, and so... Yeah, it's like, oh, this is where Han Solo got his name. This is where, uh, how like where Solo Han Solo's like dice came into play. This is where he um, does like plays wins the Millennial Fal- Millennium Falcon in a game of Sabacc. That's how Lando starts calling him Han as a sort of inside joke. It kind of felt like this almost a lot of the movie almost felt like a perfunctory checklist in a way. Yeah, and um, it wasn't the, some of the scenes were exciting to see. Mm-hmm. But they also did feel kind of like perfunctory. It suffers from prequelitis, which is like how do how do how does Captain Kirk become Captain Kirk? How does James Bond become James Bond? I feel like there's a lot of problems with prequels. Is that you kind of have to check off the boxes? And I think Casino Royale did a really good reboot yeah. of that. Casino Royale, um, I actually liked what they did with that. 
don't where know. They, it just felt... of, they, they subverted expectations, yeah. whereas I feel like with Solo, they did it pretty straightforward. Like, yep, this is how he gets the Falcon. This is how he meets Chewbacca. This is how he gets his name. This is how he becomes Han Solo. Like, this is how he gets his gun, which he's oh, yeah, had the, for apparently saber. 10 years. Um, yeah. So there's like, I mean, there's a lot of check boxes. And this I feel is where like, he learns you know, to shoot first because, you know, with Woody yeah. Harrelson, I'm like, oh, I, mean, I don't know. Lot. Every time no. something like yeah. that happened, I was always like, I kind and of rolled my eyes a little bit, and I was just like, oh, of course. See, you were rolling your eyes. I was having a, a grand but, time. See, that's where the difference but I is. It, I think this is a really a, think, a film for fans. Oh, no, I I agree. I totally agree. Where if, if you're kind of on the periphery of watching Star Wars movies, and maybe you're not really into the characters as much as you are into just having a fun space opera romp, you know, like diving into one of the character one of the main characters backstories may not be it for you and i that may be why it suffered box office maybe you know marketing whole all that deal but i also don't think that in the end i think that it's there for people who want it who want it to be there and people who don't want to watch it don't have to watch it it's kind of like how there's countless books about every ancillary character in star wars like known to man and obviously now they're all like quote-unquote legends because they're non-canonical even though they they've started taking a lot of canonic a lot of bits and making them canonical, but there's a lot of there's a lot of books and you know character backgrounds that, um, you know, for hardcore fans that would read books and they you know get the trilogy after the movies and stuff, and now they're turning that into movies, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, I just think that no. people are going to be like, well, this is the fifteenth Star Wars movie, and it's only been made it's only it's only made. Ninety million dollars is box office instead of a hundred. Star Wars is failing. Like I need people to stop. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that argument's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm like, oh no, it's making hundreds of millions of dollars. Like how terrible. Yeah, Disney's so, still like, rich. But yeah, I know, to prevent right? myself like, from being down, like guys. a full out hater, I will say, even though it did feel like very fan servicey, it does still work as a standalone movie and a fun space oh, romp. Yeah. It's still like a solid because film. Because Ron Howard is great. Yes. If you uh, put it this way, uh, the Blank Check podcast put it really well if this was a an original character like it wasn't han solo but it was like a smuggler who was making his start and he had this like alien friend and he was like you know all this stuff it a lot of people they were saying like it would have worked better because we wouldn't have cared about where the character goes Mm -hmm. well we probably would have but like we wouldn't have known where the character goes so we're like we'd be surprised by these twists and turns and oh he's been betrayed by his girlfriend and oh the the bad guy from the first movie's back like there would probably be more impact because these are a character we didn't know because like yeah by the end of star trek kirk is on the captain's chair but he it was fun how he got there it was fun how james bond became james bond and i think it's fun how solo became solo yeah, I think, I mean, I think you're both right. I think they did feel perfunctory. I think some worked better than others. Like, I thought the Sabacc scene was really fun, and the Kessel Run scene was really fun just as scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, Alden Ehrenreich made it work. Um, so I think that you guys are both right. I think that, yeah, like you're saying, some will enjoy the film for reasons and others won't. And that's really okay. There's nothing inherently wrong with it existing as it does. Um, I think they could have just done more interesting things with his story mm-hmm. with the time they had, like other than all the perfunctory, like some, like the checklist, which is a really good way of putting it HD. <laughs> um, like other than that, I feel like they could have taken more risks, but they didn't. And that's okay. So the risks that we, they could have taken, uh, let's go back to the female characters. They yes, could have g- definitely fleshed out the new female characters that we had because 
they were the points they were the ones that were like the most interesting to me when we we were first introduced to them but then it turned out they only ended up being working as either supporting characters to han or tobias beckett's uh story or as like as you said a sexy lamp and who had no agency uh i really wanted to see more of val but she ended up being not really fridged she wasn't really fridged because i think she she it was not in service to further his story it just happened and he continued on his like I have to get the money to Crimson Dawn or yeah, else. It wasn't, but it wasn't, it like, wasn't as far as fridging, but it definitely did not feel like we could have seen the full potential of that character. Yeah, yeah it does kind of feel I like, ah. Oh, blow up like, the bridge. She could have yeah, found a different way. Yeah, like, oh, you killed the black woman 20 minutes into your film. That's great. So, like, and how it would, great like, would it have, it, it would have been greater if it was, like, the duo of, of Tobias Beckett and Val, like, oh. being, like, the face mom and dad to Han. And I actually, exactly never what I yeah, said. actually, and, and I then, really would have and loved... Then he bet- and then they betray him both and yeah. be like, kid, you should never have trusted us. Mm-hmm. And I really liked how she balanced out to uh, Beckett by being, you know, the cynic, being uh, not want, uh, not trusting Han the entire time and, and like always questioning what he was doing. And I think that would have been a really good, almost antagonistic character to have on the Millennium Falcon. Everyone, everything else was kind of just like hunky dory in a way, almost too smooth into how Han and Chewie just like yeah. dropped into that crew. And I felt like she would have been that really good obstacle for them and made Han and Chewie and Han especially grow a little bit more. Uh, because, having to prove his worth exactly and i think val would have really served that purpose uh instead of lando who kind of had his own thing going because lando was sort of that character in a way but uh, not enough not enough yeah yeah and, um, and i think as for how much we love found families like i was just looking forward to like mom and dad taking their crew across space like i was so excited which, about that honestly anya if you really want that Rebels is where it's where that's at. You gotta watch Rebels. Rebels is about a found family. Oh my I god! There's space mom and dad. There's space children. There's say, space alien creature. I think so. Bad, I think Beckett also works less well without Val because he's just Woody yes. Harrelson. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, who's great? Woody Harrelson Woody is always great. Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson's great. He always plays Woody Harrelson, which is fine. Yep. It's a good character. In this type. case, he's Woody Harrelson with a mustache. Yes, and sort of like this and a little floppy, bit more hair. Yeah, the floppy hair. And, like, that's fine, but with Val, he was much more interesting. And he just was... I kind of already saw where his arc was going uh, once Val was gone. And I was like, okay. He was definitely the most disposable character, I think, for me. Um, And I was like, they could have had Val step up more or have um, Kira step up more. Instead, we just had a lot of Beckett, you know, spouting lessons off to to Han and being like, don't trust anyone. I'm like, okay, just... Woody Harrelson, I like you, but I don't need more of, like, you all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and agree. We have a, a Beckett comic book coming out, too. So de- definitely Lucasfilm does not know where fans' interests lie. And where they lie, okay, we're going to talk about her. My life has changed, you guys. My life is changed because of one Enfys Nest. Hey, that was she a twist I did not expect. Everything to me. Everything. <laughs> I already have merch. Of course. I love her. Listen, I need five movies about her. 
I do need comic book series about her because I will buy that one. I want books. I want a TV show. I want a movie all about her joining the rebellion and meeting a young Leia and a young Holdo and these three women like being badasses in the early rebellion days. Like, give me that. That is what I want. And Fist Nest, she's beautiful. She's hopeful. She's a fighter. She's this biracial woman that you weren't expecting. And then she takes off her helmet and she's like, I need a drink. And then she tells you what she's been doing this whole time. She's not a smuggler. She's trying to top stop this crime syndicate from hurting all these planets, hurting all these people. And she's like the beginning of the rebellion. Guys! It's pretty great. I love her. I still love how young young and just like how young she looks. She looks like in any other movie she'd be like the young naive person. She's big, doe-eyed and she's like this really young face that could go for either 12 or 18 or something like that. But she is just like this world-weary leader and that's what's so amazing about her. And I will say I like that twist a lot. That was my favorite part of the movie. And, like, yeah. even, like, a, an origin story for her, because we learned that her mom used to be in her role, and then her mom died, and that's when she picked up the mantle. So we have that. I'm just, like, that was, I was, like, this is the movie I want to be watching. Like, this is, I want Star Wars to make this movie, because it can add so much more and say so much more. And, like, uh, they should explore the fact that this rebellion was founded on women's shoulders. Like... Mon Mothma, Leia, Holdo, and Fist Nest. Like, you have all these great women who led this amazing rebellion. Like, where is that? You're going to give me fucking Boba Fett? Boba Fett. You kidding Boba me? Fett. I'm gone. still angry about that. I'm not, I'm not even angry. I'm just like, of course. There is literally only one good thing about a Boba Fett movie, and that's that it gives a Maori actor a lead role in a Star Wars movie, provided they don't whitewash Boba Fett. I have a pitch for a Boba Fett movie. Actually, this is based off a a tweet I saw, uh, where basically the whole Boba Fett movie is that Boba Fett dies early on and someone takes on, like, puts on Boba Fett's outfit and it's just, like, this hapless guy who doesn't know what he's doing and everyone thinks he's Boba Fett and it's just, like, him kind of, like, Trying to make and that's do. why he's so bad. And that's why he's so bad. At, at, that's why he dies in this really just like embarrassing way. And you know <laughs> how they can still continue to do that is if uh, because my Star Wars nerdiness is going to bite me in the ass. Uh, the actor who plays Jango Fett and the clones uh, redubs all of Boba Fett's lines in Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. So what they would do is they would have a hapless clone who is kicked out of the Republic Empire and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be Boba Fett? How am I going to be Boba Fett? Also, I want him to oh play God. the Taika Waititi. The clone, I, was, I was just going to say Taika Waititi. Because he's a clone, he would still be Maori. Yes. Yeah. So like you would still have a person of color in the lead and it could be Taika Waititi or like Jemaine Clement or something. And like, like that is a Boba Fett film I would watch, but like not... Instead of the Concords? Yes. Yes. But not until I get my Women Rebellion movie. You kidding me, Star Wars? Like, Lucasfilm. Get on this. Yeah, the You most introduced Infus Nest, and I need more. Yeah, it's, it's the unfortunate thing about Solo is that all the most interesting stuff happens on the periphery. Infus yes. Nest. L3. 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 Droid rights. I really like that droid rights sort of subplot they introduce because it's something that you don't really think of 
And it's something that kind of the movie sort of brushes away after she dies. And she actually dies a really horrific death. Um, so it's, sad. It's like, and I remember people tweeting out like, that's it's definitely Black Mirror like Kafka-esque, like where she, you know, she has been championing Joy's rights and her own agency and individuality. And she gets stuck in as a navigation system in the Millennium Falcon for the rest of eternity. And that's like the most horrific way that you can have a horrific way to end this character who's yeah, like I'm championing their own. I'm like Lando then loses the Falcon mm-hmm. and I'm like, so can he not transfer L three to like his ship? Or is like L three now with Han even no though wonder Lando Lando's L- angry at Han. I, <laughs> I would be angry because like L three and Lando are in love and it's like come on Ooh we gotta talk about that, guys. They definitely fucked. He fucked the robot. They definitely <laughs> fucked, but, like, writers, don't tell me a character is queer. Show me. I'm getting real tired of this, oh, he's pan. Oh, he's gay. You didn't see it? Oh, there's a gay moment. It's the I performative am tired of it. LGBT representation that Disney has really been hyping recently, and it's not enough. It is not enough. It is you wanna you wanna prove that to me? Then give Elsa a girlfriend in Frozen Two. Yes, give it to me. Like this is I'm obviously Lando's pansexual. We all knew it. He's Lando. Isn't everyone kind of pansexual in Star Wars? If you question, if you fall in love with someone of a different species, right? Then wouldn't you? Aren't you just inherently like naturally pansexual, pansexual in Star Wars? Yeah. Technically, Peter Quill would be pansexual then. Yeah, and, like, hold those pansexual because Laura Dern has said so, but, like, again, we never see this, and the lip service is not enough because you have an entire community of your audience who is starved of representation, and you are, like, feeding it to them in these little kernels and never actually committing to it, and it feels like such a slap in the face to say, like, we support you, we see you. We have representation, and then you don't actually have representation, and it hurts more than like I wish either you wouldn't say anything at all, or you would do it. Yes. Yeah. So, but, do yeah. you have do you guys have any other characters that you want to get into? Not really. Jordan Voss. He, yeah. Paul Bettany was great, um, but I think that he's pretty one though. He's pretty, he's Paul Bettany. He's evil Paul Bettany. With um, scars. Yeah, I think with scars. The, the, I think this movie boasted a lot of really great, really interesting characters, but the problem with Solo was that they didn't flesh them out more, do more with them as they could have. Like what we were kind of complaining about, like there's so much potential with all these characters, but they come off as archetypes or missed chances, missed opportunities. I think that like if this series, this were to become a series, which I, which they're definitely gunning for, that's where they would flesh it out more. But in as just the movie itself is not enough, like we were saying. So let's move on to the themes of uh, Solo. And uh, we'll, like, we'll, int- we'll uh, do plot and themes together, because we actually touched on a, yeah. quite a few themes already. Yeah, and we're kind of we're running a little mm-hmm. low on time here. Yeah, I think we all are in agreement, though, that the plot is solid, and it's very crisp and well-formed, and that's definitely thanks to the Kazans, uh, screenplay as well as uh, Ron Howard just kind of bringing it all together in what is a just a good adventure movie a Star Wars adventure movie yeah, yeah. it just works really well like as like uh, like a mission and like a it's heist I like that movie. it's like a heist mm-hmm. 
movie and yeah it's, it's fun i remember when Calvin was, Kennedy was first talking about it she was talking about how it was like a heist movie and a western movie but also have elements of a noir as well because you have that femme fatale um it's kind of if it, it was like a hodgepodge of different genres but it all worked together yeah yeah it was much more of a heist movie than like rogue one ever was i feel like um, I feel like everyone always talks about how like Rogue One was the heist movie. It's like no, Solo was the heist movie. It was the Rogue. It was the heist movie I I wanted. I wanted. I'd wanted Rogue One to be the Ocean's Eight, Ocean's Ten, Eleven, Twelve, Thirteen, Fourteen, Fifteen of Star Wars. Rogue One um, was and a then mess. It wasn't. Yeah, Rogue One was a mess, but. It was like supposed to be a war movie and a heist movie and a movie about soldiers on the ground and ended up being like it was, a little bit of all yeah. of it, but also none of it at the same time. It's like yeah. Rogue One had better emotional beats than Solo, mm-hmm. um, although they were all very manipulated. But Rogue One was such a mess, whereas Solo was like very competent, very solid. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very well made film. I will say, though. I actually liked the ideas in Rogue One better than I liked it in Solo, just because Solo seemed to void of ideas in a way agreed Agreed. that's that's where i think rogue one had more ambition they just couldn't pull it off Mm -hmm. and solo played it sort of safe and competent Mm -hmm. i think is like solo is the better made film but rogue one was trying to do more yes agreed and that's where i think when we're talking about themes for solo that's why i was like let's combine it because i was like there's not many themes to go on it's It's just just a solid yearning yearning yeah. for more yeah um because i feel like with rogue one they did the reshoot differently than they did with um solo solo they did like almost a complete reworking of of the whole movie or at least in in terms of scripting and tone and editing they they brought on a new editor like they did a lot more uh, i feel like you know because like gareth edwards still had t- director credit um, even though they did do like a major overhaul of like the final two acts or so, um, but I feel like with R- Solo, they almost they got the reshoot thing right. I feel like mm-hmm. because there's I I never really saw like any like tonal inconsistencies because I feel like the dialogue was so strong that it was funny enough to be like a Lawrence Kasdan script because like Han Solo has always been pretty funny. So like the fact that he cracks jokes isn't out of character. It isn't out of tone with, like, a solo movie. It's, you know, the fact that Lord Miller was supposed to be, like, the comedy guy is, like, it didn't affect the movie. I think that the fact that Ron Howard was brought on, who doesn't really do a lot of comedies. He's, he did a few when he started out as a director, but mainly he's been doing, like, the big, like, Oscar dramas mm-hmm. in the 90s and 2000s, and so now and now he's kind of doing more stylized stuff with, like, Heart of the Ocean and Rush, Rush and now he's doing Rush the sequel. Um solo which is so, like this very like like fast-paced like i gotta get my, i gotta get my speed i feel the need for speed so i have a question for you guys um i have an answer for you in a star wars movie would you do you got do you guys think it's necessary to have like, bigger ideas like the ones that we saw in rogue one or ones we saw in last jedi or do you think it's fine to have as have it as solo is just like a fun sort of space romp that isn't really trying to say much else we can have both i agree i think we can have both but i will always prefer the big ideas yeah. there's nothing wrong with a movie that doesn't really say anything and it is just a fun romp uh entertainment exists that way and it does offer something i believe 
Um, but for me personally, while I will see it and enjoy it, I will not prefer it to the big ideas. Think of that and, like that. Oh, what draws me so much to a character like Enfys Nest or mm-hmm. like the new Star Wars movies because like rebellions and heroes and like fighting for something like that has always appealed to me since I've been a child and like I love the whole earnest like let's save the day and things like that and have a commentary on this galaxy and civilization so yeah I think they can both exist but big ideas are better will be I think that Lucasfilm can have its cake and eat it too like Marvel does because Marvel can put out like um, Black Panther and Infinity War which have these great either like the like huge cinematic scopes or like you know incredible themes in that make you rethink like how you think superhero movies or you can have Ant-Man and the Wasp which is like a fun little like down to earth like like you know very similar to Solo where like you kind of do like a heist thing like Ant-Man was a heist movie and like you got Paul Rudd, who's kind of a jokester, and, all, and Han Solo is a bit of a jokester. So, like, there's a, I feel like there's a big comparison between, like, Infinity War and The Last Jedi over here, and then you've got Solo and Ant-Man on this side. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, I, I will say I prefer the big ideas, and um, I was spoiled by Last Jedi. Uh, I will say I was a sort of casual Star Wars fan up until I saw Last Jedi. I always liked the movies. I, I really liked them, like... And I enjoyed them, but then Last Jedi, after I saw it, I was like, oh, this is what this series is about. And that, that's what I think is the core of Star Wars, but I think also everyone has their own idea of what the core of Star Wars is. And Solo is sort of the core of Star Wars in that other regard as well, and, which is not a bad thing either. So uh, let's, I think, let's wrap up our uh, Solo Star Wars story discussion and uh, rate Solo out of Five stars. Yes, we do five stars, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. Willoughby, what would you give Solo out of five stars? I will give Solo a four out of five. Anya? I will give it a three out of five. Ooh. I will also give Solo a three out of five. So, the Millennial Falcon gives Solo a Star Wars story. 3.3 out of five stars that's solid yeah that is solid all right i mean that's basically what solo is solid movie yep all right let's move on to the last segment of our episode i really 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 like you but i need to tell you something all righty uh anya why don't you start us off what do you really like this week Okay, guys, it's the end of an era. Oh, the American. Is it the once upon a is it once upon a time finale? What? Oh, oh. You spoiled a bit of my thing. Oh no, Willoughby. Oh, okay, sorry. but no. Before we get there, the Americans is over. This amazing, amazing show, one of the best on TV for the past six years. It finally ended last week and the series finale was perfect it took a lot of us by surprise um it was all at once happier and more tragic than any of us had anticipated don't ask me how that's possible but it is yes, because don't this go show into specifics because i'm still no. not caught up yet no, no no i will not spoil that but like it is somehow both of those things at once 
it is tense and wonderful. And I'm just so glad that I found this show and then I went on this journey, even if I found it late. And I need to see it win some Emmys. I don't care if they're pity last season Emmys. I need to see them win some Emmys. Both Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell deserve their Emmys. They have given some of the best performances on television the past six years. And it is time we honor them. Yeah. But the finale was just so good. The show is phenomenal. If you don't watch it, please check it out. Like, it is definitely worth your time. It is sophisticated and tense and thoughtful. And every episode is perfect. Like, they never waste any of their episodes ever. And, oh, it's so good. So that's what I'm really liking. And I did want to give a little shout out. HG Be Quiet. It's not like a second thing. It's just a little thing. But speaking of finales... For my very up and down relationship with Once Upon a Time, its series finale was also perfect. And I loved it. And it was so well done and everything that I wanted for a series finale for that show. So I've been very happy with the way shows have gone out this year. So, yeah. All right. And thankfully, this the last episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine was not its final episode. Ooh, thank goodness. Thank God. All right, Willoughby, what is your really like for this week? It's still Star Wars stuff, so yeah. I'm back on my bullshit. <laughs> All right. So you know how I've been like listening to The Adventure Zone, which is an actual play D&D podcast by the Knockleroy brothers and their dad? So I discovered uh, through a couple of my friends from AU, they were talking about this thing called campaign, hashtag campaign podcast. And I saw Star Wars fan art. And I was like, what's this? What's this? And I messaged them. I was like, what, There's what are you guys? There's lightsabers everywhere. What are you guys talking about? Like, what is this campaign podcast? And they were saying it's a, an actual play Star Wars podcast that uses the Edge of the Empire game system which is basically like the star wars version of D, um to do like you know role-playing with characters and like in the star wars universe and there's been there's 90 plus episodes and i'm all caught up now because it took me only two weeks to binge it through work and whatnot so like it's very fun it's like voice actors are, are are doing like the voices and there's this really like they're really funny and they have they bring in a lot of like earth anachronisms into star wars and it's kind of fun to like see that but there's also like a lot of interesting world building that they're doing within the characters mythologies and they do like backstory arcs and they talk about where these characters come from and and, you know how that relates to them in the present day and they go to a bounty hunter convention which is like like a like a comic-con but for bounty hunters and there's like a it's really funny and really interesting and like things you wouldn't expect from star wars and uh i was listening to it like Right before I was, I can't, went into the theater to watch Solo, and it was like really conflating my mind because I was like, "Oh, they have to roll like a two d six for that. They have to roll a d twenty. And I was like, "It was like the 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 role playing got into into my way of viewing the movie, and so I was like, oh, "This is weird." <laughs> um, but I really liked it. Uh, I really liked listening to it, and I, they're on hiatus right now, so I can't wait for them to come back. But the the show is called Campaign Podcast. It's a Star Wars actual play, like role playing roll the dice uh like critical role the adventure zone type of podcast so i think anybody who likes star wars and these actual play podcasts that have got got, been getting real popular i think you guys would enjoy it all All right right. (laughs) Uh, 
so guess, low words. guess who's back on my bullshit uh yeah episodes of terrace house guys and i've been obsessed uh i i have um netflix recently released the second half of uh well, not the second half the part part two of the new season of Terrace House, Opening New Doors, which is the season set in Karizawa, the sort of rural resort town uh, in Japan. And it's both a really beautiful look at the Japanese countryside, but also the most dramatic Terrace House that we've had yet. That's not a mess like Aloha State. Because this season is centered around the beautiful relationship between Shion, the hot half Japanese model, and Subasa, the best person to ever appear on Terrace House, um, <laughs> a, profesh- a, a hockey player who is a tomboy and is not conventionally attractive, but has the cutest smile. So when she light- smiles, her whole body lights up, and you're like, and she's so insecure, and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm not cute. But Shion is is like super falling for her, and they're so cute together, and they've gone to a foot bath and gone ice skating together and to a temple, and it's like the most pure thing I've ever seen. Anyways, I've been obsessed with them. I'm like sweating right now because I got really excited right <laughs> I love Terrace House, and this season especially has been a really great balance of what I like best about Terrace House in that it's like really soothing and sort of this like anti-US reality show balm in that it's like – not much drama happening except under the surface and yet the characters the people the cast members are very like defined by their characteristics and there's a lot more drama because of that and but not in a way that you see in a lot of reality u.s reality shows but more in the way of like a sports anime or a like japanese romance drama it is the cutest thing except for like the the beginning of the season was kind of uh taken over by this one deadbeat uh, aspiring chef kid who is the worst, but it's okay because Shion and Tsubasa are uh, the light <laughs> of my life, and I've been so obsessed that I've been even like looking up VPNs so that I can try to watch the new episodes that are only available on Japan's Netflix and not yet available in the U.S. because I can't wait another two months, but I also don't want to pay for them. So now I'm just following them on Instagram and trying to parse out whether they're together or not. And uh, I'm obsessed. Anya, you need to watch it. I think you will love it. I do. <laughs> I really do. I know. I'm sorry to like spoil it for you, but I'm just like so excited. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It, I, it makes me want to watch it more. Okay. Good, good, good. And you will want to go um, visit uh, Japan as well and Kar- Karizawa especially. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm excited. Um, well, that is our episode and our review of Solo. If you guys have any thoughts on Solo, Terrace House, The Campaign, or the Americans, or Once Upon a Time, definitely come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. Uh, we're also, our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're on SoundCloud, and we're on iTunes and Google Play, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us. Um, and where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at htranbui. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.